Well, good morning. Just declaring it's well with my soul. What a great declaration, a great, great time to be together. It is um, such a gift to be with you. And I always really enjoy getting to be with you. Just I feel like extended family together. I know my, my family does. My whole family got up early this morning to drive down. And like we, we weren't even dragging our kids out of bed. They're like, they, they, they're, those that they know here too as well, it's just a blessing to get to be with you, to get to worship with you, to get to open up God's word together. I'm so encouraged by the, what the Lord is doing, and um, yeah, I'm just so thankful for that. Um, thankful for the ways God is continuing to work here and in Escondido and across, and, and hopefully hoping that the Lord would work as we, in our hearts as we open up his word together. And so as we do, and as we start to that, um, let, me, let me pray as we... Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for your word, which illuminates our souls. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see you. Help us to see your goodness and kindness. And through it, Lord, that your word would not leave us unchanged today as we encounter you in it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, our our passage... We're going to look at today is from the end of the Gospel of John. It, it focuses on the words of Jesus after he has risen from the dead. And if, you, if you've been around church very long, probably the most famous post-resurrection encouragement, exhortation, uh, is that the one that we're most familiar with is the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28. And, and at the end of the Gospel of John, we actually find a very similar commission. Very similar words of Jesus, kind of a, a, an empowering and sending out, but just from a slightly different angle. And so we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, our passage. Let me read it, and we will um, dive in. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If we withhold the forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there's a lot we could focus on this passage and uh, a lot of different things we could talk about. What, what I want to do in our time together this morning is focus in, kind of zoom in on the words of Jesus as he gave them to his disciples here. So you know, kind of think of this as like a red letter sermon. We're going we're to look at the passage, but we're really just going to look at the words of Jesus as we go. And as we focus on the words of Jesus um, and that, that he gave to the disciples this night, we're going to see three important aspects of God's welcome. First, we see... God, Jesus described God's welcome to us. Secondly, we see God's welcome through us. And finally, God's welcome in us. So we're going to look at God's welcome to us, God's welcome through us, and then finally God's welcome in us. And the first thing we hear from Jesus after he miraculously appears 
in this room where a number of the disciples were hiding together. As we read in Luke, this includes both a majority of the disciples and some additional disciples and followers of Jesus as well. And he shows up in their midst, and the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Now, I think we could easily downplay the significance of this phrase, and we could kind of jump over it, right? It's, it's not an uncommon greeting, just peace be with you, right? The Hebrew word, word for peace, shalom, is still a, a standard greeting even in Israel today, right? It's like when you open the door in, to, to your home or to your apartment, and you, you, you open the door, and whoever's standing there, you say, welcome, right? Welcome. Peace, peace be with you. But Jesus' next action, combined with the context of the moment, I think brings a different kind of weight and significance to these words. He's not just saying, well, welcome, peace be with you. Because think about what he went through, or what these disciples had just been through. They were with Jesus when he was arrested in the garden. And now, but when they saw Jesus taken away, right? they immediately went into hiding. They, 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 they may have found ways to, to witness the trials and the beating and the mocking of Jesus, but they'd done so in secret. When confronted, Peter even blatantly denied knowing Jesus three times. So they had seen all this happen, and they had hid. And now three days later, they're still, hi- they're still hiding. They didn't organize a rebellion in, in, in response to the crucifixion of Jesus. They didn't hatch a scheme to free him. They hid. And now three days after the crucifixion, they're still hiding. They're locked in a house. They're paralyzed with fear. They weren't out out defending his reputation. They weren't out describing how he'd been wrongly killed. They weren't spreading the message of the kingdom that they'd been, been trained for three years to do. They're cowering. And Jesus, a resurrected Jesus, shows up. Right? How do you think they expected him to react? Right? They had just forsaken him. They had hidden in his time of need. They'd fled while he'd been crucified, and now he's here. And in one sense, they're like, oh, good, and not. Right? They probably expected some condemnation. They probably expected, at the very least, some rebuke, some anger, at least some really serious disappointment. But instead, they received his peace. He says, peace be with you. Even after everything, my peace I give to you. And if we think that I I might be making, if you might think I might be making too much of the simple kind of pronouncement, it's driven home by the fact that he repeats it. After greeting his, his cowering disciples, he, he shows them his wounds on his hand and his side, to, to a, showing them that it's truly him. And then he repeats it and says to them again, no, peace be with you. 
See, when we think about our relationship with God and, and the thought of coming into his presence, I, I'm afraid that, that too often we don't, it's hard for us to think of ourselves, to really think of ourselves as his children, right? As members of his family. But coming into God's presence, even just you imagine coming into God's presence, right? The trump will resound and the Lord descends and I step into his presence. Maybe even I step into the, the reality of his presence and I'm there kind of as a guest, right? Like maybe, I mean, I know he says I'm his child, but I, I feel like a guest, and when you're a guest in someone's house, you're on your best behavior, right? Because you're, you're not sure exactly how welcome you actually are. Right? But what if you were a guest in someone's house right after you'd abandoned them in their time of need? What if you show up after all this had gone on? You wouldn't just be on your best behavior, your heart would be pounding. You'd be walking through the house with awkwardness, with with fear, wondering what they were really thinking. And and someone just opening the door and saying, hey, well, welcome, wouldn't make that go away. But what if your host, the one whom you'd abandoned, followed up the introductory welcome? Welcome. By embracing you, pulling you close, and maybe pulling away just long enough to look in your eyes and say, no, 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 you are welcome. The first welcome may have left some questions, but the meaning of the second is unmistakable. And while Jesus' first statement, peace be with you, may have not assuaged his disciples' fears, the secondly, I believe, most assuredly did. He says, peace, look, it's me. Peace be with you. Jesus wanted his disciples to know, and in recording it, I believe the Apostle John wants us to know that there is nothing you can do that puts you outside of the reach of God's grace and kindness. The welcome of Jesus is always available. And in the very next chapter of the Gospel of John, we see Jesus personalize this same point to Peter, who had explicitly disavowed Jesus three times. Right? When, when in loving and gent, in, in a loving and gentle act of redemption, Jesus asks Peter. He he mirrors his three denials by asking him three times, "Peter, do you love me?" And each time, Peter's given the opportunity to clearly and unreservedly declare his love for Jesus. The final time, Peter replying emphatically, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And in light of this act of reconciliation, in light of this act of welcoming in, in light of this act of redemption from Jesus to his disciples, to his apostles, to Peter, the welcoming in that we all receive through the gospel of Jesus We get, Jesus ends this conversation with Peter where his relationship with Peter began by him telling Peter, then follow me. If you love me, then follow me. And here we see the connection between the welcome God has extended to his disciples and to us and the lives of welcome he is calling us to live out in this world. 
says, you are completely welcomed in. Your, my grace is sufficient for you. And having been welcomed all the way in, follow me and welcome like I welcome. So the first aspect of God's welcome we see is God's welcome to us. But God's welcome to us is always extended to bring about God's welcome then through us. Immediately after Jesus' second assertion, after he says, peace be with you in our passage, he follows it up with a pronouncement. He says, so as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me to welcome you into our family, I am now sending you to welcome others into our family. Right? Think back to our, 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 our house guest, the house guest who, who had abandoned the host, but comes back and says, you're welcome. But no, 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 embraces and pulls back and says, no, you truly are welcome. It's as if the host then says, now, you know that you are welcome here. And I want you with me to welcome others. There's more coming. There's more people that are going to be knocking at the door. Will you help me? Will you help me welcome them in? But as is always true, our, our analogies, our illustrations, they, they always fall apart eventually, right? They're, they're a little bit problematic. And I think the, the analogy of a house guest it works and is helpful, but it's also a little bit problematic because I think all too often that's what we feel like. We feel like, again, guests in God's home. But we're not just guests. We're, we're His children. We, we live there. It, it's, it's our house too. Which is why the, 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 what God gives us is more than just a, the spiritual kind of concept of welcome. He gives us the, the, the spiritual reality of adoption. Jesus is declaring to us that just as God the Father sent God the Son into the world to fulfill a specific purpose and welcome His children into His family, God the Son, through God the Son, we are now adopted into His family and is, are now being sent similarly into the world to fulfill the purpose of welcoming more and more children into his family as well. Right? It's, it's, it's incredible. God wants to extend his welcome. Actually, not God doesn't just want. God has designed. God's purpose is to extend his welcome to the world around us through us. Jesus went back to heaven. And he told his disciples, I'm going, but it's better for you. Because now he's not here on earth present in just one location. So now his spirit has been sent to all of his children. So that his, his children, so that the welcome might be extended to the every very corner of the earth. Right? I mean, if you think about it, I know we think about the corners of the earth, and there's lots of corners of the earth now, but from where they were standing in Jerusalem, we're there. Right? Like this, this is, I mean, they, they, they didn't even imagine that the gospel would get here, let alone be spread and multiplied from here. But if we're a family, right? If God has actually made us a family, is, wouldn't that be what then we would expect to be a part of the welcoming? Right? When, when my wife Laura gave birth to one of our children, it would have been strange if she were the only one to welcome that child into the family. 
right? I'm like, I mean, yeah, I'll pick you up at the hospital if you need a ride. But you do the welcome thing. I'm here to help out, right? That, that wouldn't work out well. But similarly, if just she and I as parents were the only ones to welcome the child into a family, that'd be strange. No, no, when we have other children at home, when the new baby shows up, everyone responds, everybody drops everything. You don't have like other plans or anything. You're there to welcome the child into the family, the entire family. As we, um, our, our youngest daughter, when we, right after um, she was born, right after we got her, we, we went to see some extended family in Colorado. And my grandmother, her great-grandmother, like rushed like we we got there and all of a sudden she's gone and we're like where where'd she go she's she comes back with like pink cupcakes like an entire cake full of pink cupcakes like enough for three for everyone because she's like we we're all here to welcome her into the family because this is what family does and every member of the family that is called to be welcoming the new child, the new sibling in ways that are intentional, sacrificial, lavish, because we're family. Right? I see this in a, I see this in a smaller way when my kids welcome, particularly other kids, into our home. Right? When it, when a child w- enters our house, especially like little children, when little children enter our house, I, I I try to let them know that they, you know, they hey you have the free run of the house, like you're welcome. But I'm like six three. And to them, I'm old. And so, like, I could even, like, get low and be like, I want you to know you're welcome here. Right? And they're just like, you're weird. Right? It just makes them grab onto their mom's arm or mom's leg tighter. Like, there's very, like, I, I can try, but I'm limited in my welcoming ability. But my kids grab another kid by the arm take them, run them into their room, run them to a, a trampoline, run them to the, 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 the dolls or the Legos, and all of a sudden they, they extend a welcome that, is, that, that truly allows the child to experience being welcomed in. That's, and because they know that's what our home is there for. That's what we're here for. And my, and my kids' ability to intentionally and sacrificially, lavishly welcome other kids into our home flows naturally out of their deep conviction. They would never voice it this way, but their deep conviction that it's their home too. The reason they're freed to invite other kids into their room, into their place, into the kitchen, into the yard, because they believe it's their home too. Even though they don't pay for anything. Right? Like, there's no mortgage, no bills, like, no, like, they don't legally own anything in that place. And yet, somehow, they're convinced it's theirs. Somehow, they're convinced it's their home. Why? Well, because they're children of the one who owns it. And being the children of the ones ones who own it, they know it's theirs too. And the same is true with the kingdom of God. To be His children is to be at home in His kingdom, is to, have, is to be welcomed all the way in. So welcomed all the way in that we can welcome others as if we know it. 
as if we own it, because we do. Because we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That confidence frees us to truly welcome. Now on the flip side, this is why unreciprocating entitlement is probably my biggest pet peeve in our house. Right? Like when, when, I mean, I love to see my kids take what they have and share it with others. I love to see my kids take the privilege of being in our family and welcome others in. I love to see my kids affirm and reaffirm even one another's place in our family. But nothing drives me more nuts than like the, no, I can't share that, it's mine. Right? Like, I'm like, wait, wait, again, who's paying the mortgage? Or when they ignore kids who feel uncomfortable. They don't do this a lot, right? But when the kids ignore kids that feel uncomfortable, refuse to share because somehow our stuff is, is special and, in, and there's, a, there's a, a value given to us because of the stuff. Or even worse, when they don't feel like they can welcome others in because maybe they're even insecure about their place in our family. But in those moments when I see that, that, that turn inwards in any kids, you see this in, in any house, I see it in us. I see it in me. Right? When God welcomes us into his family and calls us to welcome others as well, it, it seems like leave, living that out should be a no-brainer. It, on paper, it all makes sense. So why don't we constantly live our lives with a welcoming orientation? See, having experienced the welcome of God, what keeps us from living lives that are intentionally and sacrificially and lavishly welcoming others? Well, I think it's just like kids, our fallen hearts often fall into the traps of selfishness, self-pity. We lose sight of the magnitude of the welcome we've received. We conveniently forget that extending God's welcome is one of the central purposes of our lives. It's why, in so many ways, we've been given what we've been given. To be sharers, to be givers, to welcome others in. But it's into this predicament that God provides a supernatural, thank the Lord, He provides a supernatural solution. Right, Because as frustrating as it might be, every parent knows that it takes a supernatural act of God for kids to not be selfish. And the reason is because it takes a supernatural act of God for adults to not be selfish. Right, It takes a supernatural act of the God of the universe transforming souls for us to be able to step outside of what, what, what builds us up, what promotes ourselves, and to actually sacrifice and lay down our lives for others. But that is, by the power of His Spirit, exactly what the God of the universe does. In kids, in adults, in all those He calls His children. And so, in addition to God's welcome to us, welcoming in, and his call to welcome through us, the power and the reality of God's welcome has actually come to dwell in us through his Spirit.
Looking back to our passage, Jesus shows up in this locked room and greets his disciples. Peace be with you, right? Welcome. Then he shows them in close, intimate, very specific ways. Look, it's me. Peace be with you. It's like he draws them close and affirms them. You are welcome. And then he reveals to them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he breathes on them, which is a little awkward for a, a host. He breathes on them. But look at verses 22 and 23. As it says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. There's so much here, we don't have time to dive into all of it, but Jesus breathes on them just as God breathed on Adam, giving life. And now he's breathing on man again, bestowing the indwelling presence of eternal life. And he gives them the power to forgive sins. But he's obviously not delegating. He's not delegating the authority of determining who is forgiven and who's not. Right? We read this in the rest of Scripture. But, the God, but God the Spirit is coming to dwell inside their souls so that they, so, so that we as his children might be the tangible embodiment of his presence on earth so that we might deliver his message that forgiveness and redemption are only available through faith in Christ. So that we might deliver his message that apart from Christ there is no forgiveness. We stand condemned and alienated from God so that we might be his representatives on earth. When I think about this, when I think about this representation, this sending of this message, this reality, the picture that that often comes to my head is that of a, a company town. I don't know if you know what a company town is. Maybe you're familiar. So probably some of you are familiar with a company. A company town was actually a widespread practice in the United States about a hundred years ago. Actually, at their peak, there were 2,500 company towns in the United States. Three percent of the entire population of the country. lived in company towns. And a company town was a place where essentially everything, the stores, the houses, the restaurants, everything was owned by the town's main employer. Usually a factory of some kind, usually a a, logging company or something. Now, as you can imagine, this didn't often work out well for the workers. (laughs) It's not hard to imagine what could go wrong, but the same company that employing you also selling your groceries and owning your house and owning the land that your church is built on as a recipe for some problems, right? The quality of the system depends completely on the morality and the benevolence of the company. But one of the best and longest lasting examples of a company town was actually right here in California, in in Northern California, a town called Scotia, California. Scotia, California was an active company town owned by Pacific Lumber for almost 100 years until 1985. It was still, the entire town, everything was still functioning as a company town up until 1985. The entire time, Pacific Lumber was owned by one family. The Simon Murphy family owned it for this almost 100 years. And in general, the Murphy family seemed to treat its employees and the citizens of the town fairly well. Rent was affordable. Things were maintained. Generations of workers raised their families in Scotia, and it earned a reputation actually as a, as a generally a desirable place to live. 
But I, I want you to imagine living in Scotia, living in this company town owned by Pacific Lumber, living in Scotia. But if you're living, you're living in Scotia, and you're not just a employee of Pacific Lumber living in Scotia. You're not just the spouse or the child of a Pacific Lumber employee. What if, what if you were living in Scotia and you were a member of the Murphy family? What if you're living in town, a town owned, run completely by your family? And you know, maybe you're not like Simon Murphy himself. Maybe you're like Simon Murphy Jr. or you're Simon's grandson or granddaughter. Right? But everywhere you go in town, you'd be you, but you'd also be known as a member of the Murphy family. Right? You'd be you, but you'd also represent the Murphy family. You'd be you, but everyone you met would be living in a town that your family owns. Everyone you met would be living and working under the benevolent care of your family. Don't miss the significance of what is happening when God the Son sends his disciples into the world and then God the Spirit comes to dwell inside them. As Jesus' disciples We are more than just couriers sent to deliver a message. We are his children, indwelt by his spirit. Actually, I think I say that a lot, and I think that maybe the theology of it isn't exactly right. We aren't just indwelt by his spirit. We are indwelt by God, the spirit. God himself dwells in you if you are in Christ. You're not just, you're, so you're not just a messenger sent to like hand out some invitations, you know, get some RSVPs to the party. God himself has come to dwell inside of you in this world and sent you into this world. We are the representatives of the ultimate owner and creator of the world. God owns everything, right? This is his world. We are his hosts, his representatives, his, his manifestation in his city. As the hymn reminds us, this is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. And I believe it's fundamentally important for you, for I not to simply hear this, but to truly believe it. To allow it to inform every day we walk into and walk through. Because the story that you tell yourself regarding your presence in Escondido, your presence in North San Diego County, the story you tell tell yourself about why you're here and the significance of you being here matters. How you view yourself here changes things. And how God wants you to view yourself here changes things. And I'm afraid that most Christians view themselves wherever they live, at the very least as visitors as visitors in a place run and controlled by other people, just trying to survive as we're here. Or we view ourselves as as permanent residents, just trying to make our plot of land as comfortable and as, 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 as good for us as possible. But remember what God says specifically about your presence in this world, about your presence here, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your school. You are God's hosts sent 
to welcome people into abundant life, into the kingdom of light. As we read earlier in the book, you are the light of the world. You're Christ's ambassadors. God's representative sent specifically to this city at this time. There's a bunch of people that he sent here for this moment. And that's who you are. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. You are the temple of God. The very household of God. As we see in 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Which means that whenever you encounter people, when you welcome people into your life, you are welcoming, welcoming them into the presence of the Spirit of God. God is not simply welcoming through you. His welcome is manifest in you. God's welcome to you and God's welcome through you, but ultimately God's welcome is in you. When you're driving and someone's waiting to cross the street, God the Spirit is present behind the wheel. How might they experience His welcome as they stand there? When, when, someone, when you're standing next to someone in the grocery store, God's Spirit is present right next to them. How do they experience His Welcome. When someone moves next door to you, they are moving next door to the presence of the Spirit of God that they might experience His welcome. When someone joins your team at work, they're collaborating in the presence of the Spirit of the God of the universe that they might experience His welcome. Every time, Someone in your city comes in contact with any part of his family, his body here. They are in the presence of someone who has been sent to their neighborhood, to their store, to their workplace, to their school, to represent the one true God of the universe and manifest his welcoming presence in our cities. So I want to encourage you to to allow, I, I'm afraid that most of us wake up in the morning and don't picture ourselves that way. We walk out the front door and don't imagine ourselves going as the presence of God into our city every day. I mean, maybe there's certain days that you do. You're like, oh, it's evangelism day. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to like, you know, go make sure I'm going to do that. But every day, God's Spirit doesn't like come and go. He is there in you. He's your, your identity. This is your identity. I know I'm only at 35 minutes. Can I give you one more story? Give you one more story? What are you going to say? No, I've got the microphone, right? <laughs> Somebody's like, no! Let me tell you one more story. So yesterday, I had a really interesting day. Yesterday, uh, we had some friends that were working at this convention, at the Anaheim Convention Center. They're working at the Star Wars convention. I'd never been to like one of these conventions. There was a Star Wars convention, like an all-week convention. And so our friend was working. He's like, I got some tickets. I got a son who's a Star Wars fan. So we're like, yeah, like we'll go by. This will be, be great. Like We'll just, just kind of check it out. See what's and the Star Wars convention's crazy. Like, 
I mean, Star Wars everything. But in addition to Star Wars everything and the big, like, you know, seeing the little robots driving around and things like that, are people in full costumes. And I don't mean, like, characters paid by Disney. I mean, like, this is my hobby, so I'm going to go full body paint. Like, green flesh. And, like, a headdress, you know, thing that makes me look like an alien. Like there's green flesh. There were there, there were there were there were you know helmets everywhere. There were so there were Mandalorians everywhere, um, and you know green, blue, yellow. Like it was there was one dude. I he was like blue, like bright blue. Every part of his skin was bright blue, and he had red contacts in. And I'm like, wow. Anyways. Some of you were there. You're like, yeah, it was great. I just got it off this morning, you know. <laughs> just to come to church. I had to, you know, wash it a little bit extra. <laughs> but what, what, what I'm like, that's a lot. That, all I could think was, that was a lot of work this morning. Like, that took a lot of work this morning. Like, you woke up and you're like, man, I've got to, like, look like an alien today. Right? I'm going to make it work and I'm going to look like it. And they did. Like, I'm like, you look like an alien today. That's crazy. And as I was reflecting, as I was even reflecting on it in the drive back, I feel like oftentimes we feel like that's the kind of work we have to do to live like an alien in our days. Like, wait, I'm not from here. I'm a Christ follower. I'm something different. But if I'm going to wake up today, I've really got, like, I've got to do my, my quiet time, and I've got to get ready, and I've got to prepare myself, and then today, maybe today I'm going to walk out the door like an alien. Maybe today I'm going to walk out the door like a Christ follower who's, like, looking for opportunities. But tomorrow I'm going to walk out the door normal. And on Tuesday I'm going to walk out the door normal. And on Wednesday I'm going to walk out the door normal. I mean, you know these aliens showed up to, like, not, you know, tomorrow they're showing up to their job as an accountant. And they're not looking like an alien. Uh, you know, like they're, the rest of the year, they show up to work, they walk out into, well, maybe not the rest of the year. I'm sure, you know, there's a couple of days. If, if you've got to invest into all this, you've got to do it a few days a year, right? But most days, they don't walk out the door as an alien. Most days, they walk out just normal. And I'm afraid that oftentimes that's how we treat our Christian identity, this reality of being, we're like, okay, am I going to put it all on today? Or am I just going to walk out the door like normal? And this is the message of the gospel. There's nothing to put on. There's no work to be done. Jesus isn't saying, hey, put it on and make sure you walk out as my representative today. He's not saying make sure you do it. He's not saying do the preparation work so that you can walk out the door as my representative today. He's not saying do the work. He's saying I want you to remember that when you walk out the door today, normal, you are my representative. You are an alien in this foreign world. But you're not an alien, simply an alien in a foreign world run by everyone else. You're, you're, you're an alien in this world because you are a child of the king. Because you belong to the kingdom, the eternal kingdom that lasts forever. You are actually sent here to welcome others into my kingdom. And I want you to remember you don't have to try to do this. You don't have to make sure you like get prepared and go do it tomorrow. This is who you 
are. You've been welcomed all the way in. All the way into the family of God. The kingdom of God. The throne room of Jesus is where you belong. It's your home too. And now He sent us to not just be the messengers that bring His message through us, but to be the embodiment of His welcome which He's placed in us. So that every day, every day we walk out the door, Every day we encounter somebody at the grocery store. Every day you drive past somebody. Every day you work next to somebody in a cubicle. Every day you hang out with friends or family. Every day you barbecue on Memorial Day. You do so as His presence. You do so as His children. You do so as His welcome. Let's pray. Lord God, We thank you and praise you for your kindness to us, your overwhelming grace that you have given to us and granted us and drawn us in. Would you please, Lord, um, help us to remember the reality of who we are in Christ. To remember that it's this role as the lights of the world, as, as the ambassadors sent here, the, as the salt of the earth, Lord, isn't something we have to try to figure out how to put on tomorrow. But it's who we are. You help us to live in that. And through that, Lord, be the manifestation of your welcome increasingly in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, everywhere we go. For where we go, you are, your spirit present and working. We praise you. Spirit, will you continue to do that work in and through us? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.